This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people asked me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. All right, it's Film Study with Ken McCusick. Week 11 still, looking at the offense, the Lamar Jackson-led offense, as they had their victory over the Raiders this weekend. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing good. And you know what? We were talking uh, on Section 336. We were talking on the defensive episode on how this week is designed for Sports Talk Radio with the Lamar Jackson and Joe Flacco quarterback controversy. And, man, there's just news leaking out all the time that makes it even better. We've got news leaked from the NFL Network this evening that says that Joe has not been cleared to play yet. 
Yeah, all over Twitter, and uh, certainly that's uh, that's the, what the word is that Joe obviously has seen doctors already this week. Practice will begin tomorrow. I expect him, uh, if what I'm hearing is correct, not to be a full participant. I, I would doubt he'd be a limited participant if he hasn't been cleared to practice. And, and that'll make quite a stretch now that Flacco has not been at practice because he has not played uh, since the bye. Right, we're talking so, uh, three, and, bye, three and yeah. a half weeks since he's it, touched the football. Well, there you go. I mean, I, I can't speak to what touching he's done, but he, he uh, right. certainly he's not been playing quarterback during that. Yeah, time. he hasn't been able to officially practice for three and a half weeks. There you go. Um, yeah, and there was talk. I mean, they there was it. Yes, it was today, right, or yesterday that Harbaugh made the comments about how Joe's going to see a hip specialist before getting cleared. So they they hinted a little bit at this, without saying that he hasn't been cleared. Right. So, yeah, they did hint a little bit at it. They also said that the, the tip of Harbaugh said, I believe it was after the game on Sunday, that the typical time frame they were approaching the end of a three to four week was a typical right. time frame for this sort of injury. So, you know, they, they won't tell you exactly what the injury is, but it's a three to four week time frame and we're nearing the end of it. So right. I we, we don't know where we are. All right. Is this, uh, you know, everyone learns from Bill Belichick now. This is classic Bill Belichick type move to to let people believe something and then change it. The the NFL has tried to control when you got a release and show show your teams, but they haven't made an official rule yet that you have to pre-announce your quarterback. So is this are they playing games with the Atlanta Falcons? It, it's conceivable, but I don't really believe so. First of all, if you were ever going to play that game, you probably are only going to get away with it really once or once every three or four years or something. So you don't you do not do it in a kind of a interconference game against the Falcons that is of, of importance to the Ravens, certainly, but is, you know, surprising the Falcons who almost never see you anyway. I mean, is it really that big a deal? You know, it is what it is. They're going to be ready to play both quarterbacks. They, they'd have to assume at this point that both quarterbacks would play if both were available. Right. And so, you, you, you know, you, you have to prepare for both at this point. There's enough tape on Lamar Jackson, know who he is now. It's not... Uh, he's not as the the big mystery that he was, and they certainly know who Joe Flacco is. So uh, you know, I, I just I think it has kind of limited surprise value at this point. I agree. I feel like if you want to try to screw with the Falcons, you come out Sunday right after the game saying that was great, uh, but Joe's our quarterback now. Joe's back. We'll see Joe in Atlanta. Uh huh. And, and there you go. Because you let them game plan for the guy who's not going to play. You don't let them. You don't try to surprise them with Joe Flacco. I mean, I guess that that would be a surprise, but not the way Marty's been calling this offense. If you want to surprise him with Marty, you bring the deep ball back. Yeah, there's there's so many analogies with the rest of life. I could say people, a lot of people know the Princess Bride and the one scene where the uh, he's having the the contest with the Sicilian to, on who's going to drink the poison. That's that's one thing that comes to mind in terms of really trying to outthink your opponent. It's just very difficult to do. Uh, you know, in in poker, they always say weak is strong, and strong is and strong means weak. And so the guy who's looking away from the table is a lot more dangerous than the guy who's looking straight at you, looking for a tell or staring you down. Uh, you know, I just I, I think it's very hard to outthink the other uh, coach in terms of this. And, and honestly, in this case, I don't think the information has all that much value. I think the Falcons are approaching it, trying to plan for both quarterbacks. And if both were healthy, they'd be ready for both. Right. I like the way uh, John Breach from CBS Network wrote, wrote today as he's picking the Falcons for this weekend to squeak by the Ravens. And he, his comment was, either way, I'm glad this game is being played in Atlanta. 
because there's 50% chance the city of Baltimore is going to be burnt to the ground uh, after the game because of the collateral damage between the Lamar fans and the Flacco fans that a civil war will break out in Baltimore uh, because he is predicting Lamar will play and the Ravens will lose. And then no matter what happens, we're going to get, if we do not win this game, I mean, the whole setup of this game is, is this is the most important game of the year, which means if we lose, you're going to get the fans saying, well, if Lamar was quarterback, we wouldn't have lost. If Joe was quarterback, we wouldn't have lost. Sure, sure. So there's going to be some segment, of, if any loss, there's a segment that's upset with the result of the game, but there's another segment who's upset with the game and blames the coaching staff and the rest of the people who are Lamar lovers for what they've done. I, I, I agree. I, you know, Hopefully this does not reach a civil war level, and I, I hope that there are... are the bulk of Ravens fans just really want the right thing for the team, whether that's whether that's Lamar to play all the snaps, Lamar to start the game, or Flacco to play most of the snaps, or or what is probably correct because both of them have situational advantages to split the snaps. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of like the idea of splitting the snaps. I I have been sold on that recently that I, I can I can go with that. Um. How did we get to this point? Uh, let's talk about this, the fact that this is the biggest game. When you look at the rest of the schedule, this is the game that must win. And that's why this whole Joe versus Lamar Civil War buildup really could be an issue if we lose on Sunday because then the season's virtually over. It hurts. I mean, certainly it's very bad. I mean, the Ravens' best path to maybe their only path to 10 wins realistically is to beat Atlanta, and then they'll have to win either the Chiefs or the Chargers. If they don't beat Atlanta, they have to beat both the Chiefs and the Chargers, and it's looking more and more week by week that it might take 10 wins to win a wild card. The Colts have a very easy schedule the rest of the way. They can get to 10 wins. The Chargers certainly look all, all the Chargers have to do is go 2-3 and three to get to 10 wins. Right. So they're they although they have a hard schedule, I think they're likely to be able to do that. Um, so so anyway, it's looking like the, the Ravens may need ten wins. So they need the Atlanta game, they need the Tampa Bay game, they need the Cleveland game. None of which is an unbelievably easy game. Tampa will be the easiest of those three, and then they need to win. You know, either one of two tough road tests. I think the Chargers personally can be had. I think they've got weaknesses. They haven't beaten anybody good so far. They've lost. Generally speaking, although by in close games to the good teams they've played, uh, they're just they have not impressed. Except that they've done what old Ravens teams have done in the early Harbaugh years: they have beaten the snot out of bad teams, and they've held to close games uh, the good teams they've played, even though they've lost most of them. So they they're uh, you know they're right now their only impressive win of the year really came against Seattle. Uh, and and they're only six and five and on the fringe of the wild card hunt in the NFC. So uh, they're not they don't really have a, a a great resume of of who they've beaten this year. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, it's always going to be at this point in the season your next game's your most important game. But I will tell you when I look at that schedule, the Browns are the team that scares me. Yeah, you know that's not unreasonable. The Browns obviously. So one, th one thing I look at futures betting, and I don't think this ever really captures very well, is when you're betting on a result at the end of the season, say, you can't just multiply what you think are the probabilities for each of the individual games that the Browns need to win to take the division. And basically, I I'd state it this way. If the Browns win all five of their remaining games, uh, they will, they'll win the di division probably. They'll be 9-6-1, and one, very good chance the Steelers will drop to that point. And they're going to they'll get right by the Ravens because one of their wins will come against the Ravens. Uh, right. One of their wins will also get, come against the Steelers, for that matter. Steelers otherwise have some hard games. So, you know, 
I think they ha- if they win all five games, they'll win the division. That's not what currently is their probability in each of those five games multiplied together. It's it's a they are non-independent events. So if Baker Mayfield suddenly becomes the next coming of of Mahomes or Manning or anybody, if their offensive line suddenly comes to light, if their defensive line suddenly becomes a sack machine, if their secondary you know plays at a high level, which they really are right now, um, you know. Things can come together very quickly for a team that transforms them from average, which the Browns probably are right now. They're not bad; they're average at worst, right. and, and into into very, very good. And and you know this team scares me in the sense that the '75 Burt Jones Colts did. They were one and four at one point, and they roared down the stretch with nine straight wins to go ten and four, take the division, uh, beat all the other contenders, and 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 lose in the first round of the playoffs. But still, it, it was a remarkable comeback story in that those last nine games of the 75 season as a lot of Baltimore fans remember right um yeah it also scares me because it's the it's the last game so it's like if you if you worked really hard and you got past all these other things mm-hmm. it could end with the Browns so, so yeah you're even even if the Browns are, are out of contention right th- they and their fans are going to be playing for everything in that last game they I mean they've got a middle middle of the first round pick so even if the players really believed in that crap and and try to dump the game for a draft pick. That's not going to happen. It's it's a matter of they're you know they're playing for their fans, playing for the state of Ohio to beat Maryland, who stole their team, and yada yada. And uh, you know they're it's going to mean everything. It'll be a Super Bowl to them. Yep. Um, so let's get into uh, let's get into this game. I guess actually I got one more thought on Atlanta and the fact that it's a road game for Lamar because we've only seen these two first games where Lamar has done okay have been home games. We know one of his issues has been play calling. He's yeah. going indoors in a dome uh, out, of t- out of town on the road. Yeah, excellent point. And, you know, there, there are two things I keep hearing. One is that he's still telling the story about, about talking in the mirror and talking when he's in bed at night to try and start getting play calls right. Obviously, there's a problem there. Uh, you know, he mentioned there's two problems. One problem is him remembering the play and being able to recite it accurately because a lot of these a lot of these plays can have 15, 16 words to them. Right. And you know you're sitting in you're sitting in an NFL huddle, and the way I've had it described to me is if you're a wide receiver, you 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 hear blah 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 through the offensive line call, and you know what what side they're blocking to, and now how they how they slide and whatnot. And then you listen for that three number combination of 159 or whatever it is. Right. And you know, if you're the X, Y, or Z receiver, you're running a one five or a nine route kind of thing. So it's, it's really, it's a lot to remember uh, for the quarterback who has to give everybody's position to them. Well, apparently the Ravens had, had tried to make that easier for Lamar by coming up with these one word play calls. So you run Geronimo. And I, I said, you know, they ought to have a Geronimo ready when they had to run down the field after the 74-yard catch right. from Andrews. But somehow they couldn't get their line of scrimmage there. And, you know, we talked about this on the last show, but they had the hat trick of wasting timeouts in the first half, which is unacceptable. But on the road, they're going to find out they don't need three timeouts. They need six timeouts, you know, if, if they're as confused as they were in the first half of this last game. So uh, it, it's a big problem. And I think playing indoors is going to be a problem. Obviously, you don't get the same jump off the ball when you're running silent. Uh, you, you, you don't have the same advantages in terms of, of playing off the quarterback's cues and his voice and whatnot to know when he's going he's gonna, to uh, snap the ball. You just have to react to the ball being snapped and, and do as well as you can. And I'm, 
you know, it's it's frustrating to uh, I'm sure it will be frustrating to Lamar to play in that in that uh, environment. And understanding in the huddle could be a could be a problem. Atlanta should not be that loud in arena. It's indoors, but they're they're a bad team this year, and and you know they're not playing for anything in terms of the playoffs at this point. It's just a, it's a it's a still with some noise on offense. It's going to be difficult for Lamar to get that play call off. Lamar, if he's having trouble remembering these plays, why isn't he wearing an armband? We haven't. I don't. We don't see a lot of quarterbacks wearing armbands anymore. But when I, this I had not time? had. I mean, certainly, I had not noticed that uh, that 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 he didn't have an armband. I mean, I thought most NFL quarterbacks have that little flip up, and they, you know, they take a look and make the call and whatnot. Um, it, it makes all kinds of sense, particularly for scripting of plays. Uh, it seems like when they've gotten ahead in games, they're running a lot of the same plays with maybe a little bit different line action. But, you know, they're, they're running some form of, of straight-ahead run with Edwards, and they're running, you know, some outside runs with Montgomery, and they're running some outside runs with Lamar, uh, you know, off, off read option. So it's, it's really – it's not like there, there seems like there's a lot of differences in terms of what they're doing, and it does seem like an armband might help with that in terms of, of keeping him aware of things. All right. Um... One thing as we kind of progress before we look, I guess we're still looking back. So let's look back a little bit and let's just start with the red zone because uh, they've had trouble with the red zone and they're going to have to figure that out and fix this. I know it's been, it's, we got a great, we got Tucker and that's great to have him there for the three points, but we really need the seven. Yeah. And that's, that's been a big problem for the team in the last uh, well, since the beginning of the season, because they were 12 for 12, or maybe they were even 13 for 13 to start the year in the red zone. And now they're in the middle of the pack in the red zone. They, it looks like they're about 12th in red zone percentage, and they've dropped all the way to 64%. So if you figure in the, fa- figure in the fact that they were 100% to start the season, they haven't been very good. They've probably been, been close to the bottom in the league since that great start. So uh, that's been a problem, and they need to convert more of that. There had been talk that Lamar would be a good guy to help convert in the red zone. I don't think that's really turned out to be true. Obviously, some things went wrong in this game that were not entirely Lamar's fault, but uh, but also he's he's done some things that are kind of silly in the red zone uh, in addition to, to scoring a touchdown like he did Sunday. But he, I, thinking back, the, the stretch play that they ran against Pittsburgh uh, was just doing Pittsburgh a favor. They frankly, they had the numbers, they had the size to run straight ahead in that situation. Whether it was Jackson or or the the back in that case, either one would have been a good choice. But but running a stretch play just helped them out. It's like throwing a throwing a change up to a guy who can't hit the fastball. Right, right, all right. Um, and let's keep on the negative. And let's as we look specifically at the Oakland game, let's look at these wide receivers because it seems like the wide receivers were dropping a bunch of balls. John Brown had the alligator arms in that play in the end zone. Right, that was that was really bad. And you know, James Lofton, of course, was doing the game in X wide receiver for many years in the NFL, and and he called him out for him. You know, he, he didn't he didn't use the word career decision like uh, Dion might have done, but but he said his arms seemed to get a little shorter in that. They, they did not seem to have mag- maximum extension or whatever the words he used was, but it was right. obviously he's he's banging on him a little bit for uh, for not having his arms out there. Uh, Brown also. I don't know. They had a, a reasonable chance at the first interception, but he was in the vicinity. Uh, it was tipped twice by other Raiders. He's a shorter guy that really showed up uh, in the in the in the forest he was in of larger players around him uh, on that first tip drill interception that they had. In all honesty, that's that, that 
that throw was totally on Lamar in terms of being a bad pass. But uh, but Brown was in the area, and you know maybe he could make a play on that. Christian McCaffrey certainly did for the for the uh, Panthers to get a touchdown off a tip ball. So you know you can hope that something like that will happen. Right now, while you're picking on Brown, he did Brown did have the big catch that got caught back by the Orlando Brown penalty. Yeah, that's that's true, and and uh, you know that was a tough one on Brown and uh, and uh, on both Browns, <laughs> uh, John Brown because it was a nice catch in stride, really well thrown ball by Lamar in that case. Uh, Orlando Brown's hold was costly, but if you look at the rest of Brown's game, he caught one ball for 25 yards on seven targets. He's just that's not the kind of threat he was early in the year, and he's the guy who you're pretty sure you can get separation with. Crabtree, for example. He's not getting separation on his passes, so it's it's going to be harder for Lamar to fit the ball in there, and there's going to be more risk when that happens. All right, so seven targets, one catch. That's not good. But then we look at Snead, who spent a lot of time on the field with zero targets. That's right. So 49 offensive snaps for Willie Snead with, with zero targets. And they did run the ball a lot in the second half. But they still threw the ball plenty, 25, 26 times, whatever it was during the game, when uh, and, and Brown didn't get any targets. Uh, sorry, Snead didn't get any targets. So that's unacceptable. And uh, it really should have been uh, – it was an ugly game. And Snead asking for targets I don't think is enough. I think the, the response to him is going to be get separation. You know, find yourself in the middle of the field where Lamar thinks he can trust you with the ball and you've got a window that he can throw to. Uh, you know, Flacco is more accurate than than uh, Lamar. So that's going to be a place, and, and Snead is going to be a receiver in particular, who's going to have more success, I think, with Flacco because of the, the ability to throw into that tight window short and have the ball delivered right on time. Less chance probably that it gets deflected. Oh, Flacco's had some balls deflected at the line of scrimmage. And, uh, and, and you know, just a better chance for, for Snead to have more opportunities on offense. All right. Um, how about, let's go tight end. Hayden Hurst seems to be getting more opportunities with Lamar or? Yeah, I mean, this was a this was a good game for Hurst to show some of the things that he was uh, drafted for. He didn't have a big game in terms of catches. He caught what three balls in the game, but that first pe- uh, pass that he caught was thrown into traffic, eleven yards. There were four defenders around him, and he came down strong with that ball. That was a contested catch, and it easily could have been the ball that if it comes free for any reason. It's in the air, and it's another interception by the by the uh, Raiders in that game. So uh, that was real good, strong hands, and just the kind of uh, snatching from the air, not body catching. Uh, you know, didn't have to in that case, or, and really couldn't have in, in in terms of the group of defenders that was all around him. Use his body to to obstruct the defender in terms of making the catch, and uh, really good, strong hands to bring it in and, and secure it. All right, uh, Lamar threw two interceptions on Sunday. Are you concerned about these interceptions? I mean, you mentioned the one uh, that was tipped before getting to Brown. You're putting on Lamar. The second one was thrown behind Crabtree, so you got to put that on Lamar. Most, it's it's mostly on Lamar, but I tell you what, if Crabtree was a separation guy, there would have been a much bigger window for Lamar to throw to, and the risk of underthrowing the ball would be less. I, you know, I, I think also it's fair to point out that while Joe has a terrific arm in terms of the deep ball, he doesn't have that great deep ball accuracy either. So, you know, we've we've probably seen as much from Lamar in terms of deep ball accuracy as we've seen from Flacco in the last couple of years. So that's really not the problem. The problem uh, in this case was this ball was underthrown to a receiver that wasn't quite open. It created a contested catch. There was bracket coverage in the area, which meant there might have been some judgment issue there on throwing that ball also. 
and Crabtree, by not being able to make any play on the defender, allowed the defender to, to pop the ball up. It wasn't an easy interception. In fact, it was kind of a ballet between the between the really nice PD and the and coming down with the ball securely with Gilchrist and keeping his feet in bounds in the end zone. But uh, still, it was a play that that you know I think Crabtree maybe deserves thirty percent of the of the responsibility for, and Lamar the other seventy percent. All right. Um, have you? All right. I don't know if this has came up in your film watching, but Crabtree did spend a good amount on Sunday trying to be a pocket passer. Um, it seemed to me like his, we, is it that we've been used to the way Joe throws the ball versus Lamar, but it seems like his passes were, a lot of them were, were soft. Uh, were soft. As in like, uh, it doesn't come out as fast out of the hand as as Joe. I, I, I think Lamar probably doesn't have the velocity that, that Joe does because Joe is known really for having, you know, one of the strongest arms in the entire NFL you know, he's been described by receivers in the past. And I think this might've been something Steve Smith said is like, he will remorselessly break your fingers from, from short range, you know, by throwing the ball hard right. it, it, and it'll be your fault if you don't catch it. Uh, but, but anyway, the, I, I don't think that, that Lamar has the same kind of thing. And Lamar also may short arm the ball a little bit, th- tend to throw darts a little more when the ball is, is coming out at short range. And that is, that's a problem. Generally speaking, you need to, you need to maintain that good velocity. The receiver depends on it. And and also you 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 really depend on the on the window not closing, but also the quarterback can overestimate his own strength so that when he throws the ball you end up with the situation that happened in Carolina when when Lamar when Lamar came in rolled right and Arians described it as he tried to hand the ball to the receiver in that case I think it was Snead who was wide open ten yards downfield for a first down and and he you know missed him way short so you know when I see that happen you know just keep maintaining that. The normal velocity at which you throw is very, very important, and you know, you're probably right that that does tend to short arm some balls, which are of shorter range. And that's and that's where my question really is coming into is how the receivers react, and is there a adjustment for the receivers from one type of quarterback to as far as timing, as far as receiving the ball, is there a difference in the way the guys throw? That would I, I think receivers. I think for sure. I think any any receiver who throws the ball a little a little softer you have t- probably too much time to think about th- how you catch the ball in some cases and receivers once they get out of their normal routine of catching the ball can cause themselves all kinds of problems uh you know some some of it can be how they turn their body and wanting to catch the ball a certain way but others can be just if it's joe throwing the ball you better know where your hands are supposed to be or or you the ball is going to be through them too quickly and, and that's probably a better level of fear for the receiver to have and saying, well, I've got time to react to the ball and I don't know exactly how it's going to show up from Lamar. Uh, you know, I, I can understand how that would be different. I, I don't, I don't want to pretend like, like, you know, it's, it's an A and a C minus thrower. Cause we know Flacco has his problems in terms right. of some elements of, of, uh, you know, overthrowing receivers occasionally, uh, underthrowing on the deep ball has been, a, has been an issue in the past at times. Uh, a lot of what the receivers just need to do is get as much separation as they possibly can with their route running and with their speed. And with that separation, do as much as they can to improve the window that, that any quarterback has to throw. Right. And I'm not trying to judge one uh, Lamar to Joe. I'm just trying to understand what changes on your team when you change a core position like quarterback mm-hmm. so drastically. Uh, let's get to the offensive line and, we do have to remember, as we do this, just like we did when we were looking at the defense, that we are playing 
the Oakland Raiders. They had a soft defense. They're they're the worst team in the NFL. So we have to we have to keep put a little star on it as we talk about this. But Stanley continued to play well again. Yeah, just uh, Stanley's on a great run right now. So since the since the D in week two against Cincinnati, so I had a tough game that week. He's had A minus, B minus, A, C, B, A, A, A minus in this game. So terrific run. Kind of reminds me of the great second half he had in his rookie year. Uh, nice upward trend line. Uh, playing very well. This game, if you break it down into what really went wrong, he allowed one pressure. It was early in the game. He allowed one-third of a sack where he all he really did is allow a pressure. Yonda also got a piece of that. Uh, I'm sorry, Lewis also got a piece of that. And that flushed Lamar to the left. And then Lamar, for whatever reason, decided not to throw the ball away when he should have and held on to it and took a sack. Uh, he had, so if that's all you do in a 67-snap game, you're going to score pretty well. He missed four blocks in the game and uh, ended up with an A- minus uh, in terms of the total points. So uh, excellent game, not playing against the highest level of competition. So on all of these players, I apply a subjective judgment that's a combination of what they do in, outside the scoring system that I don't think is captured, uh, highlight blocking is another component, and who their opponent is and what the quality of that opponent is. And in all these cases, I have to mark way down that the opponent was not real good. Still gave some points for highlight blocking and whatnot, but the, the adjustments were very low this week. So Stanley, where, where he would have normally scored an 85 raw score, would have been an A. Uh, this week it was only an A-. minus. Gotcha. Uh, Lewis, though, took a step back. Lewis took a step back. Uh, he did. He was the only guy who really had problems with pass blocking. He allowed three pressures in the game. He had one-sixth of that sack that I mentioned where, where half of it was Lamar. Uh, he had a false start penalty, so that didn't look good. Uh, he missed 15 snaps. They didn't play all the snaps to accumulate these negative events. So that's also also kind of bad. 0.69 raw score. Uh, he gets in at the bottom of the D range with an adjustment. So a uh, tough game for Lewis, and he's under a lot of pressure with other players. The possibility of Hurst returning uh, could obviously get him replaced at left guard. And Bozeman also in this one had a terrific game, So uh, even though it was in limited snaps. All right. How about Skura holding down center? How about we, how about we move over to Bozeman? Because Bozeman right, came, sure. in, came in for 16 snaps, uh, playing for uh, um, 15 of them playing for Lewis, and one playing for Yonda on that ridiculous uh, oh, trip yeah, to the sideline. I was, was going <laughs> to ask you about that when we got to Yonda. Okay, we can talk about that in a minute. But let's just talk about Bozeman real quick. Uh, 16 plays, made all 16 blocks, and that included a lot of real high-quality blocks. He got into level two four times, made those four blocks. He pulled twice, made those two blocks. Uh, they did a lot of double pulling in this game, which is, is kind of unusual. We had uh, uh, Michael Crawford on early in the year on the show, and he did a really good a good uh, job of explaining counter bash to us. And these two-man pulls allow you to do a lot of different things, uh, and they did run one of those with Bozeman in the game and two of them with Lewis in the game. So... Uh, you know, some exciting things, and they, they had a big run to convert a third down and five that they did with Bozeman in the game, where Bozeman got just enough of the guy on the right edge, and uh, Stanley ran through for one of the most athletic blocks you'll ever see from a left tackle, pulling all the way from left to right, got it at a level two, and blocked uh, uh, number 27, uh, Nelson, uh, a block he will remember, let's put it that way, put his stamp right. on him pretty effectively and moved him about 12 yards off the ball. All right. Um, all right, now let's get to Skura. 
Okay, sorry about that. We'll go back. Sure, Skur, another good game as well. Um, a, he fits in as an as an A. Allowed half a pressure in the game. Missed three blocks. Uh, just a very solid game for Skur. It's important to note that that centers, generally speaking, have lower pass rush events because the center uh, he sets the blocking it starts with him it starts with the mic linebacker that's why they say you know 52 is the mic or whatever that's because they're they're determining where their blocking assignments start from the center because he makes that call always knows pretty much who he's supposed to block and in so doing uh you know he's less likely to allow a pressure he really has to get beat to, to to do that and he often is helping on a double team so that it makes it also less likely one thing i've liked to see from skura um, is that he is doing a good job with the back end of combination blocks. So Lewis and Yanda are both moving to level two a fair amount after helping out on his man, and he's doing a good job squaring up and holding that man where he's supposed to be and allowing the run game to work around him. Doesn't mean he has to open a hole, although sometimes he's, he's providing a little bit of push with a double team. It, most of the time it just means he has to hold his guy right where he is, and that the hole will open itself uh, to the left or to the right. And so I thought he's done a very good job with that. Same goes in with some of his pass blocking when they've had been helping out the tackles, in particular earlier in the years when Stanley, year when Stanley was injured, and when they had Hurst on the on the right side, they didn't trust as much as they trust Brown. I think um, they were doing more help by sliding the blocks from the guards to the outside, leaving Skura one on one with a bigger man in the middle, and he did a good job with that. So you know, it's been impressive that he's been able to kind of recover. He had a, he had certainly had a slump in the in the Cleveland and Tennessee games where he. He uh, got an F in both of those. He had another D against Carolina. But in the five games since his, his, his two Fs, he's had a B plus, a D, a C, an A, and a B plus. So he's recovered. He's in no danger of losing the job. There's been talk of that off and on this season. But uh, he's honestly in no danger. The only guy who's really in danger right now is Lewis. All right. All right, Marshall Yanda, you uh, brought it up a little bit. But Marshall Yanda, we all learned during the broadcast, does not want to be touched. uh, what did you even see when looking at film what they could have solved to think he might have been concussed yeah he he referred to it and i think it actually happened on a previous play where he he got up and he touched himself in the in in the helmet and i think it was to say shit i you know blocked the wrong guy kind of thing or something about the play that he knew he hadn't done quite right or quite what would have been optimal but it wasn't even that play, I don't believe, that they took him out. It was a couple plays later. They pulled him over to the sideline. He was talking to the official about it. He goes, look, talk to me. There's nothing wrong with me kind of thing. And the officials go, you got to leave the field for a play. And so someone called down to check him right. for a concussion. And it did turn out the drive ended, and he only missed one play. But, uh, you know, he's still upset about it. He's obviously talking about it on the sidelines. They kept uh, you know, shooting back to him after that. So, well, that uh, it's, it is weird. It's, I get it. It's part of the NFL trying to make sure they're nice and safe. But it can also really screw with a team if, oh, yeah. if you're pulling off a good guy in a in a meaningful play like that. Yes. Um, especially when it's something that he, he the refs tell him just go to the side because the ref can do nothing about it. It came from above. That's that's right. That's the the call came from outside. So if you think back to the 2014 playoff game at Pittsburgh, so that's the the one they won. 30 to 17. Roethlisberger wanted to come back on the field with an obvious concussion. Yes. And for whatever reason, in Pittsburgh, they did not stop him. So he ran on the field despite saying, wait a minute, you got to hold out, you got to stay here. And they would have had to go with Gradkowski in the game yes. at quarterback. But they, he ran back in. Unfortunately, he threw an interception that, that, that sealed the game for the Ravens. But it was one of those things where it I don't know how 
you know, you, you, a penalty flag should have been thrown for that. And, and yet I think it would be today with right. the increased awareness of concussion. But the concussion protocol is not new. It's been around now for several years. But, and, I, and it, but I think the third party guys is new. That, that's fairly new where you've got the, the, the third guy watching. Who has the right to pull anybody right to pull out of the anyone game Anyone on either team, yes. Okay. Where before I think it was team doctors from what I remember, not NFL I want to get my facts straight before we talk about this. How about that? that yeah, no problem. I, I will just give my opinion, and if it's wrong, let me know on Twitter. Uh, I, I think you're probably right, because this is now the fifth season. This would this would have been around for fifth season, five seasons, and I think it's probably been more than that. But I, I remember thinking at the time, this is grossly unfair that they're letting Roethlisberger come back in the game under these conditions. Gotcha. When they, when they would hold somebody else out. So somebody had a responsibility, whether it was a team doctor on the sideline that had a responsibility to make sure it happened, or it was a, an official of some sort. But right. anyway, I'll, I'll look back. I'll get my facts straight. All right. Well, outside of the concussion protocol, how'd Yanda do? Terrific game for Yanda. So return to what we expect out of Yanda every week, which is a raw score in the low 90s to miss almost no blocks, to have the blocks he missed, not necessarily be ones he got beat. He gave up half a pressure. That was his only event during the game. So, uh, you know, just an all-around terrific game. The guy who did beat him for half a pressure was Maurice Hurst, who uh, uh, is the one of the top talents a lot of people thought in the draft, a defensive lineman who, who waited until later in the draft because of a heart condition to get drafted. But he's playing now and, and is one of the nice stories in the NFL to, to, to root for if you're rooting for players on other teams. But anyway, Yanda, a, a terrific game in a lot of ways. Uh, he's getting back to level two a fair amount, uh, six blocks in level two. He did have two highlight combination blocks, which is that's the block we see more often than anything. It's the it's the block that I say will put Yanda in the Hall of Fame someday is his ability to tee up a guy for the next lineman over right or left at the line of scrimmage, but usually the center, and then move to level two and make another important block that clears a hole, often, oftentimes both sides of the hole. Uh, for for a runner to make a good run, so uh, he, he had two of those in this game, and it's something he's done, you know, hundreds of times now in his career. Uh, great to see him doing it again. The one thing that seems to be gone from Yanda's game this year is the ability to pull. He was 0 for one in this game, and he's had a really bad year. If I had to had to go back, and I haven't haven't queued it up once to just look through all the, the sheets and what I've got, but. I'd say he's he's gotten less than 50% of the available points on polls, which would have been unbelievable in the past that that would have happened. And you go back to the biggest running game of all time in terms of importance in Ravens history was the 2009 AFC champion, uh, sorry, AFC wildcard game win at New England where the Ravens rushed 52 times. In that game, Yonda had 19 polls and connected on 15 of them. And that just they did a lot of their pulling, obviously, to the left that year because that's where they had Jared Gaither, who was their their power blocker. Um, it, that was uh, you know just an unbelievable thing. It's never been equaled by by any Raven in any game I've ever scored, never even approached. Um, and and that now that Yanda at, at this point in his career, the only place that his game is really seems to have conceded something to age is in his ability to pull. All right, and then uh, oh, we got to get to Orlando Brown who. We're continuing to see get more and more playing time, and it's hard to not just rethink of him for the big penalty that pulled back the Brown catch on Sunday. Yeah, well, it's it's hard not to, but it, but it's it's kind of you got to look at the whole body of work. And he had two penalties. He had a false start. Obviously, negated a big play with his holding call. Uh, holding calls are bad because they they have big option value for the defense. So it, yeah, sure, it was bad that a called back a forty eight yard 
positive play. But it would have been terrible if there had been a sack on the play anyway and they had the right to decline the penalty and, and take that result instead. So, anyway, multiple bad things happen when, when you give the defense options. It's just giving them a free play the same way an offsides does. He got nine points in penalty charges, but he, he, he did not have any charge for a negative pass or run block. He had a perfect game. Otherwise, he did have four missed blocks in the game. Scores at the low end of the B range, which is still good, um, uh, given he's got all those penalty points to, to, to deal with. Um, very impressive power game from Brown. Uh, power and mobility, for that matter. He had four pancakes in the game. Now, I'm trying to remember the last time I've seen a, a Ravens offensive lineman have four unassisted pancakes, because those are the only ones that count. If, they, if, two, if two players push you down, not a pancake, or neither one gets a pancake for the, for the play. And if... The, the defensive player is lunging to try and take down a, a, a ball carrier. I don't give a pancake in that case either, so it just gets some of that straightened. But Brown pulled twice. He made both of those. He went to level two and made six blocks. And it seems like time after time when they would run plays that would stretch the offense to the left while also bringing power to the right, and that's often a, a feature of running these counter plays where you, where you pull two players – is those players have to the linemen have to stretch out to the left to make blocks. So you'll see Skura end up looking like he's in the left tackle spot. Um, what they're really kind of doing, three of them are zone blocking to the left um, to, to kind of clear the space. And then you have two power guys who run through the area that, that can really clean up any remainder. And they did that very effectively. And part of that was Brown getting into level two to make a key block on a linebacker. So that's not easy to do, not easy to do for a big man. He didn't come with that kind of advertised mobility before the draft and, and the Ravens have just gotten so much more with Orlando Brown than I think um, they knew was coming after that historically bad combine really have to credit the Ravens scouting and Tacosta, I think in particular for overriding the results of the combine and, and figuring out not only that they still want to draft him, but also to get great value on him in the third round. All right. Um, okay. That's great. All right, you've been talking about all of this uh, winning formula and that the Ravens have a formula and it's time to see if this winning formula is going to work out. Uh, I questioned you on the last show about what is this formula because it seems like they're all over the place. So tell me about this winning formula. All right, like, I, I think I look at it offensively as they're, they're really doing two things. They, they have a high-octane inside-outside run game. And that's going to be in some way supplemented by passing from Lamar that hopefully will be at least adequate. In this last game, I'd say it probably was not adequate. You know, throwing two interceptions. Right. He, he, had a, he, had a, he had really a bad game passing the ball, even though he got a nice completion to Andrews. He had a 48, another 48-yarder called back. The two interceptions are bad, and they, and they offset a lot of the value created by those two long pass plays. But the inside-outside high-octane run game is just – it's almost unstoppable. It's completely demoralizing to the defense. It, it keeps the offense on the field seemingly for drive after drive. I think it would be very difficult to respect fourth down defense from a team. So, I mean, if the Ravens got into fourth and one, fourth and two situations with the current run offense and the options they have to, to, to make it work, I don't see how you ever, you know, your midfield or better, how you'd ever stop on fourth and one or two. I you can go up to about fourth and four if you're talking about running the ball from the you know the 38 or 36 yard line. You know maybe where you're on the edge of Tucker's range somehow uh, for for kicking and you still want to try and get a first down. 
they they got a game they got a first down in this game in on third and five. And I'm trying to remember the last time I saw the Ravens run straight ahead on third and five to get a first down. Yeah, they might do it on you know, in some previous game with Tyrod Taylor or with with uh, Jackson to try and get an edge run on third and five, or maybe you get a, a scramble to, to occasionally to get a first down. But a designed run play straight ahead to get five yards, I just can't remember the last time seeing that on third down. Right, and that does that is what we've been talking about the past two weeks is the change in the run game. So that is a big thing that could change, that has changed, and the question is, is it because it was bad teams or is it this new offense and well, that's I, going to make the difference? Yeah, the, the, the fact that you have Lamar is this amazing outside threat that can freeze the defenders on the outside really helps. It, it, it makes it very difficult for the outside defenders to pinch. They can, control, they can try and control the edge or they can pinch a little bit, but they can't do both. And so if you try and control the edge, you might still fail. But you, you, you're, you're definitely giving up more space on the inside than the defense would like to give. And, and it's just been very effective. It's, it's, Lamar is very good at making that edge defender take the wrong first step, using that leverage then to get to the outside and, and make a big play. So uh, we've seen it time after time. The other thing that, that I found it was interesting was Lamar's quarterback run for the touchdown was just a straight boot left off play action. To me, play action would be the biggest possible giveaway to the defense. I, it's just, it's like automatically, you know, Lamar is keeping the ball off that boot from play action because everything else he does is read option in terms of the runs. So it just, it, it surprised me. They really need to now work in a play action pass to burn the other team because I think if I were watching film, I'd be saying, boy, that's, you know, for, for doing advanced scouting for some team, I'd say, boy, if he, if he runs play action just normally and turns his back to the field, he's keeping that football. All right, so you're, the the Ravens formula that has been winning games the past two weeks that we hope continues is this this inside outside run game, and then also on the defensive side, it's the secondary, the back end. Yeah, the secondary has been terrific. I mean, they've really been supporting the pass rush in terms of what's happened. We did get Judon to, to, to have some fast pressures at the very end of the game, but I think for most of the game, they've been not aggressive with the pass rush. They've been willing to just drop back into coverage, and the secondary, those corners who are healthy and very deep, are doing a great job of, of the man coverage uh, that they need to have to, to, to stop the passing games of what, I, frankly, are some suspect offenses the last couple of weeks, but but they're going to they're uh, they're going to get a little better. All right, and then the game you're saying you want Flacco for is the Kansas City Chiefs. You think that this plan will will work against all the other teams, but you you don't think we can stop Mahomes? Well, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why Kansas City is the game that that it would be really nice to have Flacco for uh, more than the others. I'm not saying that they don't want Flacco for some part of it of all these games. But Kansas City will be a very loud stadium. Kansas City's got a great team this year. They're going to be excited fan base. Baltimore coming to town uh, will be something they're they're geared up for as much as any of their games, I would think, the remainder of the way. And I, it will be a difficult game noise-wise. Arrowhead's always been a difficult place to play. And I think that it's something that Lamar will have more trouble than he did in the first half of this last game in terms of keeping things straight, keeping the offense moving, keeping the play signaled individually and the Ravens will have to make more offensive compromises to cover for that. So they'll have to have more of these one word play calls and the other things that probably will, will hold back the offense in some minor ways and, and simplify the concepts that they can use. So anyway, Flacco is the guy And the other part is that, you know, because it's likely to be a shootout, 
you're going to want somebody who can score points quickly. Uh, much more likely you get behind in this game, and you want to see the the uh, the high octane passing game or the highest octane passing game that the Ravens can put on the field, which is which is still Flacco. All right, they tried bringing Lamar in for situational plays when Joe was the starting quarterback. Does that work at all with Joe in the in the as a game plan? Can you bring in Joe for little? Uh, plays now and then, or does that just obviously speak pass? I I I think it's okay to to do that, but I th- I'd be more okay with doing it by series and the series is be situational. So you get down two scores while it's Joe Flacco time. He's he's in the game. Right. You want to run out the clock? Well, it's Lamar time because Lamar is not only really good at advancing the ball with the run and and having this inside outside run game. That's one of the few ways. You can actually still move the ball with the run once the other team knows you're going to run. There's, there aren't many, very many run run playbooks that can stand up to the other team knowing you're going to run. But the, but the inside-outside game can do it. And beyond that, I'd say that uh, Lamar will get you multi-play first downs, which are really the key to running out the clock. So we talked about this in the last, last show, but an 11-yard pass on first down is not nearly as valuable as three plays for 11 yards on the ground. So you can, you can grind out first downs like that. You demoralize the defense more. You burn more clock. You get the game over faster. You, you shorten the game defensively for your team, which keeps everybody rested. And, and all of those are good factors that play into the Ravens' hands. All right. Uh, let's get to uh, – let's look at back at the Raiders game one more time with our offensive MVPs. Now, I went to make my MVPs, and you started the show with the wide receivers sucked. They were horrible. And then you took nine guys. You took the, you took nine guys in your MVPs. So I'm going to let you handle the MVPs, and then I'll give a – I've got one guy I want to talk about after your MVPs. All right, fair enough. So, so my number three guy is Ty Montgomery. Now, Montgomery didn't have an obvious role on this team really entering this game. Collins uh, sat out. I expected a bigger role for Montgomery. Allen didn't play at all. So Montgomery clearly now looks like the number two guy, the guy they're going to trust with more of the uh, pass catching in this offense. And he did not disappoint. Eight carries uh, eight carries for 51, I believe, or maybe it was six carries for 51. No, I think it was eight carries for 51. Uh, a couple catches. He had a really nice run off the counter where all he did was beat defensive linemen that were unblocked to the edge. Uh, very impressive when you have a back who can do that, who has the speed and and probably the first step to fool the defenders and then still beat them to the outside. So uh, great cut ability there that I really liked. Uh, positive game for Montgomery. I think he adds a lot to this offense, and he's a good compliment for Edwards as a, as a back who can do some of the things Edwards is not as good at doing, uh, specifically catching the ball and uh, and being that one cut slash runner that can that can uh, give you a little more burst to the outside. All right. Then your number two is the first time you cheated because you've got two guys here. Okay. Well, these two guys are inseparable, and and I'm, I'm going to start by saying Lamar Jackson did not distinguish himself in the passing game enough to get one of the MVP slots. Uh, you know what he did in the passing game, frankly, didn't really help the Ravens very much. But Edwards and Jackson together, we talked about the inside outside passing game. It is just so valuable. And Jackson's a huge part of that, even when Edwards gets the carries. Obviously, Edwards' style and ability to break tackles is huge when he gets the ball. And the offensive line, obviously, is able to, to, to make use of that and, and, and create space that is very useful for Edwards with Jackson's ability to freeze. Jackson also made a nice play to the outside late in the game 
uh, that, that kept the ball and secured them from from giving it back. Not that they, the, the Raiders had really any chance to win at that point. It's just nice to always get to the victory formation yourself and not have the other team burning out the clock. So uh, Edwards and Jackson together are my number two group. All right, three guys down. You got your number one <laughs> slot. Who's the other six? All right, so all six offensive linemen who played just did so well. Uh, I could do one exclusion perhaps, but I'm not going to do that. They all they all played great together, and uh, they did a lot of positive things. Even Lewis, who had a tough game, uh, made seven of seven pulls, except for one he was asked to make on a pass play that didn't work out and he gave up a pressure. So, uh, you know, everybody contributed in some way. It got to level two. They made good blocks at the line of scrimmage. Some of them double teams to make space for Edwards. Uh, you know, we saw Stanley running all over the field. The distance Stanley might have, must have run in this game to make some of those level two blocks was really astounding. Uh, we saw Brown showing more mobility, the ability to pull, uh, still being a great power blocker. I mean, just all, across the line, terrific off, offensive game line, and uh, and they deserve the number one here. Gotcha. And I, I know what you were doing. You took nine guys because you assumed I was going to go with the, the easy stuff like uh, Joe Flacco for still being hurt. But I, I can't choose that because I don't think Joe Flacco being hurt helped the team to play better. I, I would normally go with the uh, with John Gruden and the Raiders defense. But I look and our offense only put up 20 points against their defense. So I, I, I don't think I can make fun of their defense. Their defense did okay. Um, so then I would normally go with Marty Morningweg, but he drove me crazy on Sunday. The play calling of suddenly Lamar's like, Passing uh, a pocket passer in the first half seemed like he was just sitting out there like, this is the Oakland Raiders. This isn't a serious game. I'm just out here to prove all these media people wrong. Uh, you know, you're reading into it an awful lot. I, I, you know, I'm I, sure I respect I your judgment on this. I, I do like the fact that with the lead, he knew exactly what to do in the second half. Or he was told exactly what to do in the second half, one or the other, because you know, obviously there's an opportunity for adjustments there. But with the lead, they put that game away in about as firm a manner as you can. The Raiders ran only 17 offensive plays in the second half. Some of that was a function of the defense. A lot of it was the function of the offense and their ability to stay on the field for very, very long, basically unstoppable drives. I know you're saying with the lead, but they they went into halftime with a three-point lead. So it wasn't it wasn't much of a lead when they finally decided, all right, let's let Lamar do what Lamar does. Well, fair, fair enough. And then three became ten, but then ten became three again, uh, near the end of the third quarter. Yes. Before they, before they got, and then, uh, you know, I, I, you're right. They did have the lead consistently in that they ran the ball. They didn't get away from running the ball in terms of 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 what was successful. And to just see, you know, Edwards run for five yards, first down after first down after first down was was just exciting as hell to see the game run. Very, it, it's very fun to watch defensive football to me, but also to watch a great running game really grind it out against a team that, that just can't stop it. It's the, it's the ultimate cram-it-down-your-throat offense that I just love to see. Right, but remember, the Ravens' offense put up three more points than the Oakland Raiders' offense. Okay, I mean, you know, to be fair, Josh, they lost two opportunities for possessions in, yes. in a game where there weren't that many possessions sure. to the punt return touchdown and the Suggs touchdown. So it's, it's kind of unfair to judge them entirely on 20 points. A points-per-possession okay. basis, they'd look better. <laughs> All right, I see what you're saying. You're saying if Cyrus Jones would have went down, maybe yeah. Lamar could have gotten a, a, a touchdown of that. If, if Suggs didn't take it, Lamar would have gotten those points. All right. Sure. I'll give that to you. Uh, let's get to the mailbag. Uh, you can send them in on Twitter using the hashtag FilmStudyMailbag. 
And first one up is a fun one from Minion Hunter. If you could get a Super Bowl win by running Lamar Jackson 27 times a game, but his career would be over in five years, would you do it? I, I thought he actually said if you get the Super Bowl and it'd be over after this year. No, I thought he, that was a question. Because I can answer that one anyway. He says five years, but I, I, I think you might as well say it's over the day after the Super Bowl. Yeah, and that, and that would be fine with me, honestly. I, you know, I, I have a, a great respect and love for the individual players, but purely from a perspective of a fan of, of you know, what the goal of the NFL is, which is to win Super Bowls, it's, you know, those flags fly forever. And, you know, I would certainly, of course, trade the future of Lamar Jackson. If you, if you just had to trade him at the end of the year, let's put it that way. He's not necessarily hurt. He just, you know, you just, you just made a deal with the devil and he goes to some other team at the end of the year. Hopefully he doesn't go to the Steelers. Hopefully he doesn't get, go to someplace else where he's going to burn you for the rest of his career. But if that was the deal, absolutely trade him in a heartbeat. And if you think about it, um, he's the 32nd pick. You win the Super Bowl, you get the 32nd pick again, and you have another chance to trade. It's a sustainable process if you want to do it that way. Right. And of course, beyond the draft picks, you know, much, many other resources are burnt per year trying to win Super Bowls. So one first round draft pick, I mean, think about all the first round draft picks that gotten traded in the last year to no particular end. Amari Cooper. You know, traded from the Raiders, the, the two picks for Khalil Mack, you know, are a lot. And they and the Bears might win a Super Bowl this year, though it's kind of an outside chance, I think. But then you're asking me, would I trade a first round pick effectively for a Super Bowl this year? I think the choice is fairly obvious. Raven fans are spoiled. They, we won in 2001 and 2012. Uh, Raven fans are spoiled. You trade, you would give up any guy. To win a Super Bowl. You'd give up anything on your team to win a Super Bowl. Uh, talk to an Oriole fan. They'll get rid of anything <laughs> in order to win a World Series. Raven fans are spoiled that for so many years we we have been relevant. That we have this small stretch of not being in the playoffs. Which seems odd because we've had such a large stretch of playoffs every year. There's mm -hmm. lots of teams that do not get that opportunity. Right. And and even, even in the years where the Ravens are having, oh, such a down period... You know, they had one year where they're five and eleven injured, but the rest of them had been in all you know eight and eight, nine and seven kind of years where they just missed the playoffs. It's not like it's not like that's not a, an enjoyable year to go to the stadium and and root for your team and have fun. I mean, I just I, I don't get it. But the, uh, but anyway, to answer the question, yes, the the Brown fans would give up Baker Mayfield for the Super Bowl. I I agree. They do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, they, they do it in a heartbeat. Pro probably the entire team. They you know what. They might even give up the Browns for a Super Bowl. <laughs> no, I don't know if I'd say that much, but but I think I think if you asked them and the choice was the rest of Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield's career, I think they might do both. Yes. I, they're, 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 there's nothing that guarantees them a Super Bowl anytime soon. They will get enjoyable football out of those two gentlemen. They're great football players, and they'll be around for a while. So it's a difficult trade to make. But, yes, you're right. They might trade both of them. All right, so I gave you that easy question because I've got one more question in the mailbag, which is a more difficult one from Caleb. All right, you mentioned in the last show that if the Ravens use two quarterbacks, there should be a bias based on the plus or minus of the score. What about how would you deal with relative neutral scores? Okay, well, I think a relative neutral score, there's there's at least a couple of different things I would I would put in play. The first is what's the other team weak against? Are they are they a very strong run defense team that is extremely disciplined that plays against Lamar? I think if it's on the road, it plays against Lamar. I think situationally, if the if the other team is major weaknesses at cornerback and not along the defensive line somewhere, I think you really need to try and take advantage of that. And that probably 
uh, you know, puts Flacco in a better position. There are, there are, you know, you might say that the extended pockets really put, put Lamar in a good position as well, but I just see Lamar as being kind of error prone to date in terms of the passing game. I don't think that's the way I'd play it. Um, if you want first downs on the ground, if you want to churn out first downs on the ground, if you want to make the other team give up defensively, I think Lamar is your guy. I think if, if you can make the run work in any way, if, if, you, if, if there's a, a team that is mediocre or worse in terms of the, their ability to stop the run, I think it's Lamar easily. And, and, and that's probably in, in those cases, as long as the score is close, you know, plus seven, minus seven kind of range. I think that's the, the overriding factor is what's the other team weak against. All right. All right, Ken, over on Russell Street Report, I was just looking, and you've already got your offensive grades up on there, so you can follow along with that and uh, check out all the spots and watch the film yourself on uh, – what's the website for, for film that the season ticket holders get? NFL Game Pass. So you have the, 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 uh, the nice quarter-in-time references. You can go back to that and tell me when I'm full of crap. All right. And you can always follow you on Twitter at Film Study Ravens. Uh, anything else going on this week? Uh, we've got a tiebreaker article. I, I plan to get out at some point during the week. So we, we need to expand the thing. The, the defeat of the Bengals and the injury to Andy Dalton really has minimized their impact now, I think, on the wild card race going forward. So it's now about who else do the Ravens need to worry about. And primarily that's the Colts and the Chargers uh, to a much lesser extent, some, a team like Miami. But it's mostly the Colts and the Chargers. Gotcha. All right, and you can give me a follow on Twitter at Josh Soroka. And if you, if the Oriole talk has scared you away from Section 336, check it out this week because there's a ton of Ravens talk this week. All right. Anything else? Anything up new on Birdland Sports this uh, week? Birdland BS has a new show that just came out today as well. Very so cool. That's another show to check out at BirdlandSports.com. So, all right, Ken. Well, we will talk soon. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. For the ones standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. Committed to helping keep your facilities safe. And your people safer. Call, click slash safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.